You're listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. I'm the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I've been practicing exclusively divorce and family law for the past 16 years. Everyone has a story. I interview them. Wake Up Call is an opportunity for you to hear inspiring stories from people who are making hard decisions, overcoming their fears, and living their most authentic life. Hey, everybody. This is Wake Up Call, the podcast. I'm your host, Christina Previn. Joining me today for another edition of the FemSquire series is Donna Legband, a divorce lawyer in Basking Ridge, New Jersey. Hi, Donna. How are you? I'm very well. Good morning, Christina. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. It's been a while. Thank you for doing this. I always say that I love to pry into people's personal lives. So thank you for saying yes. I do start out every interview with the same question is, where did you go to college and what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Ooh. So I went to college at Fairleigh Dickinson University, but that was that was not where I was supposed to be. I actually was following my heart originally. I was supposed to go to George Washington University and I followed my sweetheart down to Florida because he wanted to play basketball there. And I ended up not staying in Florida because he did not get a scholarship for various reasons. So we both came back to New Jersey and my mother popped me in the car and said, if you think you're sitting around now, you're not going to. So I ended up at Fairleigh because I was a Jersey girl. I was originally supposed to, to George Washington. I had my deposit there. And my boyfriend, who is now my husband, was a basketball player in high school and wanted to play in college. And okay. I was going to say, at least it all worked out. <laughs> it did work out, but it was, it, it was not quite the college plans that I had for myself. But I did intend at that time, though, to go to law school. So I did go through with that. Okay. So you had this whole plan when you were supposed to go to GW. You must have really loved him to uh, uproot yourself and your plan to go oh, to I Florida. Did. I, did. I did. Against my parents' wishes, I followed him to Florida. And of course, three weeks later, I came back. So. <laughs> well, I hope he appreciates it. <laughs> he, did. he did. And, you know, Everything seemed to work out and, and it was it was fine to end up at Fairleigh Dickinson and I made wonderful friends and I so, ended up going to law school in Florida. So I have to ask, how come you didn't just transfer back to GW? Like why didn't you just go back to the path? Well, actually Flor uh Fairleigh Dickinson this is probably this pre this dates my age, obviously, gave me a year of credit. So I started out as a sophomore because back then you could take like they're not they weren't called AP classes, they were called CLEP tests. Um, and you could take them in various courses. And if you, you know, got a certain score, they would give you credit in college. So F Fairleigh Dickinson gave me a year of credit. So So I remember when I was in college, it was like embarrassing if you stayed past the four years. Yeah, but now, now it's common, right? Now it's now the five year program is probably the the much higher percentage than it was when we went. Well, I think today's generation might be a little smarter because for them to say, yeah, what we're not in a big rush to go adult. We're gonna yeah. stay in college. I kind of wish maybe maybe it wouldn't have been such a bad thing to do a five year plan back then. Um, I certainly would have enjoyed it. <laughs> I would have traveled though. I would have liked to travel. So we'll see. Yeah. So what did you major in at FDU? I was a poli-sci major, which is not 
really transferable to many things unless you want to get into politics. But I knew I was probably going to go to law school. As long as they would take me, I was going to go to law school. And I was fortunate enough that I you know, was able to do that. Why did you want to be a lawyer? My dad was a lawyer. He um, was a corporate counsel for Allstate. Um, I, he really was my idol. However, he also gave me a very false impression of what practicing law was like, because as you know, practicing family law is a whole lot different than being a corporate attorney. So I was going in, you know, seeing how kind and gentle and just a, a wonderful man my dad was and how well he did in his career and thought, wow, I would really like to do that. You know, he he made a difference in his area of law and I would like to do that too. And boom, I ended up in family law and it's not quite that type of practice. Well, so you thought you would go into something corporate. Is that right? I actually wanted to be a prosecutor. So why did you want to be a prosecutor? Like, how was that seed planted? Uh, I'm not really sure. I thought that I could really, I wanted to be a trial attorney. And I wanted to try to make a difference again in whatever area I practice. But my journey did not take me there. I never really pursued it once I got out of law school. I just kind of happened to fall into family law. Okay, so then where did you go to law school? I went to law school at Stetson University College of Law down in St. Petersburg, Florida. So my journey did end up in Florida after having gone there for a few weeks with my soon to my later spouse, but uh, I ended up going to law school in Florida and loved every second of it. That sounds cool. Why did you come back to New Jersey where it's cold? <laughs> My husband, again, he, he was willing to work, you know, he was willing to go down to Florida, but both our sets of parents were up here in Basking Ridge. And I, my husband, I knew, preferred to stay in New Jersey. And I, I didn't think I'd still be here 30 years later, but I am. I just have to ask you, is he there? I like I've no, seen you look at no, and he's a contractor. He's in a totally different different type of law. He's he's a good guy, but no, he's actually outside working in this heat. So Oh God. Yeah. I would not want to be outside right now. Yeah, not me. I'm having enough trouble inside, right? <laughs> I know, I know. It's like the, the air conditioner cannot work fast enough. Yeah, same here. So I didn't intend to go here, but were you guys high school sweethearts? We were, uh, I, we were, I was, we were dating since we were in ninth grade. We had a little brief, you know, breakup at some point. And then we were dating through high school as juniors and seniors. Um, he was a big jock. I um, was the high school mascot. I was the red devil. And uh, he was, he was your all-American boy. He was quarterback of the football team, captain of the basketball team, played baseball too. I don't know if he was captain or not. I'm sure he knows. He'll tell you. But um, yeah, we dated through high school and continued on as adults. That's incredible because <laughs> especially someone who does divorce for a living, you know, you can, you get a lot of high school sweethearts sitting in your office. I do. I, I have. And, you know, this is actually the age, too. I usually get them right, too, right? So, but yeah, it's, it, it is. It, people ask me that quite frequently, you know, when I'll meet with clients, you know, because I'll ask, are you divorced? And I'll say no. And, said, you know, I'll usually tell them, no, I married my high school sweetheart. And so far, knock on wood, has worked out. That's great. 
Well, I like to say, you know, everybody says the divorce rate is 50%. And I, I like to say, well, you know, 50% of them stay together. True. So. Well, when you, so when you were younger, did your parents or anybody say, you know what, darling, it's, you really should, you know, go out there and, you know, live life on your own. It's high school sweetheart thing doesn't always work out. Did anybody say that? Or was that their expectation that you would get married to him? I think they, they thought that we would get married. He stayed up here when I was in law school. So, you know, we, we, we had our time where we were, you know, pursuing our own dreams and doing our own stuff. But when I graduated law school, you know, we were still together and that was, you know, it just seemed, I I hadn't met anybody that would, you know, compare to him as far as I thought at the time. And he's a wonderful man and he's a great father. So well, you're still smiling. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe because we do, you know, I, I will say, you know, we all, he gives me my space. I give him his space. You know, I travel a lot and I travel a lot with my friends. So, and he's not a big traveler. So I do get my time to be with my friends and, and explore the world. I like to do that. So, yeah, that's interesting you say that. I have that similar situation. I want to travel everywhere. My boyfriend, not so much. So we, you know, we have an agreement. We go away together twice a year somewhere that we agree on. But if I want to travel more, which I do, then I go with friends or sometimes I go by myself, which is fine with me. But wow, that's, think that's great. Weird. I, I have not done that, but I do. I, you probably know. I, I, try to travel quite a bit and I travel with my friends, same situation as you, my husband, we go away, you know, two or three times a year with either the family or him and I, but you know, in general, I love to travel. I would go every month and I will go with my friends and I have a blast and it's nice. It gives me time, you know, in my space to be alone and be doing things that he might not be interested in. I love that. I think that's interesting because a lot of people don't do that. I I see a lot of relationships just in my life with friends and relatives where it's foreign to them to actually do anything separately from each other. They feel like they have to do everything together. And I've never understood that. Like I, you probably have had this happen and it blows my mind. But when my, I'll say to a friend, let's go do, let's go, like, let's go to Key West. Let's go out, you know, do that. Do three nights go for a long weekend. Well, I have to ask my husband. I'm like, what? You have to ask your husband? Come on. Like, yeah. ask him what exactly? Right. So <laughs> that, that is to me, you know, surprising. I'm like, what do you mean? Ask. Like permission? Like, I know. I, I have the same issue. I've actually had people say to me, Russ lets you do that. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. The, the feminist in me is like, what do you mean, lets me? Emma, do I have to ask his permission? What is that all about? Uh, we just had our 30th anniversary. 30th anniversary. Well, happy anniversary. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was last week. So it's been a very... Oh, that's, that's wonderful. So um, since we're on the topic, do you have any advice for people? Like, what do you think makes a successful marriage? I'm sure people say, what's your secret? Hmm. Is there a secret? I don't know. I think giving each other being respectful of each other's space. Like you need to, like we just talked about, I like to travel. He doesn't like to travel so much. And I think his ability to let me 
be with my friends, do my professional work and go out on my own. And it has a high level of trust. I think you have to have a high level of trust. And I think you have to be able to have your own space. I don't understand when people say, I need to ask permission. Sure, you should you know, say, hey, you know, I'd like to do this. What do you think? But I don't look at that as permission. I'm basically saying, this is going to make me happy. I'd like to do this. Is it okay? Do you think that it's a good thing? And, you know, I, I don't mind input, but I don't want to have to ask permission. And I think that we both respect and trust each other. He trusts me. I'm, I'm not going out and traveling and doing anything inappropriate. I'm going out to see the world and that's what makes me happy. Yeah. And it works because he doesn't want to go to some of those places, right? So it's right. like, great. Right. And honestly, I think it's good for women and, and men. You know, I think he should, you know, he used to take golf trips too. It's it's good for us to have friends and other relationships and be able to bounce ideas and thoughts and everything with our friends. And to have that bonding time with my friends is really important to me. I agree. I'm with you 100% on that. And I know some of your crew that you travel with and you yeah. guys, you all look <laughs> yeah, we, like we have uh, fun. They're very important to me, all my friends. And I like to meet new people too. You know, I like to travel with new people and meet people and, you know, but to me, it's very important that women and men have their, you know, separate friends to continue to maintain those relationships, even though you're married. I agree with you 100%. So there you have it, everybody. There's the secret. So if you're not doing that, maybe you should start. And then you won't need to end up sitting in Donna's chair in a consultation with her. True. <laughs> okay, so let's get back to the law school thing. So you went on to law school. Did you still want to be a prosecutor at that point? I did. I did. And I was down in Florida, but I moved back up to New Jersey where my parents were. And my husband at the time was my boyfriend. And I ended up, working at legal services because one woman was out on maternity leave. And back then they would give maternity leave for six months. So I had a contract with legal services to fill her spot for six months. And I enjoyed helping families. And that's where I think it really turned on me was I really enjoyed being able to help those families and help people that were in need of services regarding custody and support. And then I realized this is a whole new field that I had never even thought about. I've often heard that family law picks you. You don't pick it. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I did not ever envision that I would be practicing family law when I got out of law school. So I agree with you. I think family law chooses you. I don't think I chose family law. I think it kind of just happened upon me and I enjoyed doing it. And as I said, I enjoy helping families and I help, you know, get people through a very difficult process and hopefully get them on a path where their life is going to be better. Well, for some people, it can be a little too emotional and you've been doing it a long time. Yes. Right. I think the other saying is there's a really high burnout. Like if you last past five years, you know, maybe you could do it as a career because a lot of people are like, whoa, I can't handle this. Did you ever have a phase like that in your career? I I don't think I did. I just really pushed through. There are difficult times and there are times when you have a highly charged case that's very difficult and, you know, it makes it difficult for you to get through the day because it's 
it upsets you, you may say, you know, I really want to help this person and this is a difficult situation. And maybe there's a lot of steps that we need to go through to get through to the end. But I, I never considered leaving the practice. There are days when I question like, oh my gosh, I could have done something like real estate closings, but no, here I am. And honestly, the reward at the end, and you know this, is when people say, oh my gosh, thank you. And you look at the person that's sitting in front of you and they're a totally different person that was crying and sobbing in your office and saying they didn't know how they were going to get up the next morning. And yet when they're a year later, sometimes longer, so looking at you and thanking you. And that's what makes it all rewarding to me. Yeah, those are good moments when someone says thank you. I don't know about you. I don't hear thank you a lot. <laughs> you know, because especially if you're representing the person who really doesn't want to be divorced, it, they, it's hard for them to see that there's anything positive that has come out of it. Um, but I think when you see them like a year later when they've moved on and they have a new life... I, then I think is when you really see more of the gratitude. And sometimes, as you know, we become the target of their anger and their being emotions. And that makes it difficult on those days when, when a client is very upset and wants to lash out at you or your staff. But we understand that this is the most difficult time for them and that they're probably not their best person when they're going through a divorce and try to maneuver through that those difficult days. Yeah, maybe you're a little better at remembering that on a day-to-day basis. Uh, sometimes I firm... Because I don't really practice law so actively anymore. I run the firm and... I did get to a point in my career where I just thought I really don't want to do this anymore. So it's hard for me when I look at people like you who have been doing it so long. It's like, how do they do that? Like they have stamina. Well, in all honesty, I will say that mediation was a saving grace for me. And I think a lot of people, when I started practicing, there wasn't mediation, quote unquote. Nobody really did mediation. And then about 20 years ago, mediation really became a big push in the state of New Jersey. And that really, to me, is is what saved many of us from getting, quote unquote, the burnout. Mediation is a much friendlier practice and it can streamline the process and it gives people an opportunity to try to also control the process. They have more involvement. So my practice is about 50% mediation, maybe a little more. And that really is the highlight of my practice. I enjoy getting those couples with or without attorneys into the office, getting my hands dirty on what are the issues, what can I do to help you, and then trying to address those issues and come up with creative ways to resolve them. And that makes me very happy when I can spend a few hours with people and at the end have them, you know, be able to move on and get an agreement put together and get divorced. And they feel very satisfied that the process is moving forward and done. Yeah, I definitely think mediation is a game changer for everybody, for the attorneys, for the yeah. professionals involved, and certainly for the litigants. I'm starting to feel like if you want to litigate, it's because, and I hate to generalize in this way, but I feel like there's something toxic or dysfunctional that's happening if all people want to do is litigate and they're not really looking towards resolution. Uh, I agree with you. 
I agree that when you have an attorney who is not mediation friendly, then that's a big question mark. As, as a practitioner, I say, you're not really interested in trying to resolve the case. You're more interested in this being a business and making money. Now, I don't know that there are too many of those attorneys anymore. I think most attorneys are mediation friendly, but as you said, there are some that are much more litigious than others. And to, in my opinion, that's not good for the client. Give me some names, Donna. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> most clients don't want to spend you know, $50,000 to get a simple divorce. Most clients are interested in what's the path that I can take that is least expensive and least costly to me emotionally. You know, litigation, as you know, and I know, can just stir up many more emotions and create much more animosity than sitting down, putting a couple in two separate rooms with their attorneys and saying, hey, what are the issues? Where do you both stand? How can we make this come together? so that you can move forward in your lives. You feel like you do have to give people, though, litigants, an opportunity to sort of vent a little bit? Yes. I think people need an opportunity to say their piece. Yeah. They really think that it's going to be like television, but it's not really going to be that way. And we know that. Yeah, we know I, that <laughs> even if your spouse is a jerk, it doesn't matter. I tell people all the time, look, we are a no-fault state and the Perry Mason moments just don't happen. I think I've had two in my my career in trials where those Perry Mason moments happen. But those to get to that point is a very expensive process. And at the end, there is no judge that's going to sit there and say exactly what you said. Your your spouse was a jerk or what an awful situation you were in. I'm so sorry. It's just never going to happen. It's more of a end of a business relationship. And we're going to look at the custody and parenting issues, what assets you have and what debt you have, and what you need to support yourselves going forward based on your incomes or potential incomes. And it's really, they don't have time to get into why you're here. They simply yeah. get this done. Yeah. So let's go back a little bit. So you graduate from law school, you end up at legal services. Did you write out the six-month contract or did you stay longer? Actually, after legal services, I went to an insurance defense firm and I stayed with them for a very long time. About Well, not a very long time. I think a couple of years. And I decided at that time that I missed having the client contact. In insurance defense, you're basically in court every day. We also did collection work and there's very little client contact you know, we're, we're looking at interrogatories, taking depositions. And I miss the contact with the family people. And then that's when I had met someone when I was in court and he offered me a job in family law. And that's how I started in family law. And then I ended up with my partner, Jane Altman. Uh, and that was a very long-term relationship until 2021. Tell me about how you ended up being a business owner. Did did that also just sort of happen? Or did you make a decision at some point in time that I want to hang a shingle? I want to be a business owner. I think it developed with Jane. We we fit very well at the time that we were together. I started out as her associate and then we decided to start a partnership. And then that worked out very well. We were different, you know, in our personal lives, very different, but Professionally, we practice very similarly, and we 
were very successful together. And then we brought on another partner, which was Mark Mayrides. And that was very good as well. And that was successful for many years. I love that. So I have to tell you a little story about Jean. I love her because back when I was working for someone else and I left to hang a shingle, she called me. And she was so supportive, you know, congratulated me for, you know, starting my own business and wished me well. And one of the things that she said to me that I will always remember is she said, you know, if you're going to have associates and they're good and you want to keep them on, you have to make them a partner or they're going to leave. It's just how it is. And so I can't help but feel like she was somehow referring to you. She didn't say you know, your name, but <laughs> she probably was. We, you know, I started out as her associate and I, you know, it just it just grew and we got along very well and it worked out for we were together 30 years. I think that's a, a wonderful story because it doesn't always happen that way. That's probably not the typical story that we hear, right? Uh, yeah, no, I, you, you and I both know, you know, things change and people move around quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that says a lot about you that she recognized your value and your talent, but also says a lot about her that she was able to acknowledge that and really make a decision that helped both of you because how does it benefit you as a law firm owner to just let good people leave when you could just kind of reorganize your relationship with them? Very true. And I'm sure, you know, we all have friends that are in the business that, you know, you, sometimes you struggle to find your niche, you find your place where you want to be, and especially women, you know, the legal profession back then was mostly male dominated. So it was very hard to determine, you know, where do I want to be? And there weren't a lot of resources out there for us. There weren't a lot of women practicing when I started that were in the area of family law around this area, although I was very fortunate to fall upon you know, people like Pam Copeland and uh, you know, there were a few other people at the time, uh, Judge Ryan Hurd, Marilyn Ryan Hurd, that they had a little group and there was about six of them that would meet for lunch. So they were very supportive. So you had to find your niche back then and you had to find somebody who practiced similar to you. So in your law school class, what do you know what the proportion of men to women was? It was pretty high. I think we had probably about 25% back then, maybe. I think that which was pretty, maybe, I want to say 25%, which was pretty high. Although I did have a law school professor, <laughs> oh, my contracts teacher, professor who, you know, they used to do the Socratic method and he loved to scare everybody. So he'd make you stand up. And I remember he said to me, and my maiden name was Pancook, Miss Pancook, why aren't you home barefoot and pregnant? Now, you know, and I know that would never go over now, but I'll never forget it because I didn't even know how to answer him. I was just like, because I want to be in law school. But he grilled me about, it had nothing to do with contracts. He wanted to know why I wasn't barefoot and pregnant and home somewhere with a husband. I was like, oh my gosh. But that really pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> because you here you are, this woman who got into law school, you know, you're focused on your education. And all he wants to talk about is why you're in college and why yeah. you're not barefoot and pregnant. It's just amazing to me. And this, but this mentality, it's still around. 
Yeah. They're just I, better at hiding it because they know they have to hide it now. Some of them hide it. Yes. A lot of them don't. But that's amazing to me. I, I do think that mentality is still around. Yeah. Oh, I, you know, so I, I think you did an interview with Geraldine and she mentioned about not being, when I was in Somerset County early on in well, it wasn't just Somerset County, it was a state, but women weren't allowed to wear pants in the courtroom. And Pam Copeland was the one that kind of broke that mold right into Somerset County, walked in with a pantsuit on, and that was a big brouhaha. Um, so, you know, those are the days that we started, and we kind of laugh now, like, what do you mean you couldn't wear pants? Like, the men are wearing pants, why can't we wear pants? But you had to wear a skirt. I've heard too in some <laughs> courtrooms you had they made a fuss over pantyhose too. You had to wear pantyhose. Oh yeah, yeah. And and you know there was talk years ago. You know you should have to wear heels. You can't wear flats. And, you know, I was, it's like you know you have to be worried about what we're wearing. You know the men were coming in in suits, so we were all wearing and buying suits at that time because we weren't going to you know break that mold and be different. You didn't want to rock the boat with the judges either. You don't want to impact your clients because of your attire. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be the rebel, but at the same time, is that always what's best for your client? Correct. So, so do you, how do you remember feeling when that professor was grilling you? Were you totally mortified? I was upset because I was a Jersey, I, you know, I'm from New York, actually, so I shouldn't call myself a Jersey girl. I'm really, but I'm from the Northeast. And that was a little bit shocking for me. He was a Southern man and he wanted to know why us women were in the in the classroom. And it, it, I had never had anybody approach me and ask me, you know, like, why are you in law school? Or, you know, why do you go to college? Why do you want to be educated? To me, it seems, well, that's absurd. Why wouldn't I want to be? And, you know, I, I, my answer to him was simply, I belong here. I want to be a lawyer and everybody in the room wants to be a lawyer. And he just continued to go off on his merry way. Well, what do you think? And then he asked other other students, what do you think? Do you think that they should all be here? You know, he, did, he didn't make it a, a specific to me. He kind of made it specific to, uh, are you all committed to being here? Are you women committed? But, you know, that would never fly now. I guess we know what he thought about it. Well, definitely. Yeah. He didn't think we should be there. I've heard this sentiment in the past um, that people would say, well, you're taking a man's spot. A man could have had that spot because we know what's going to happen. You're just going to get married and have kids and we're never going to see you again. But meanwhile, there's a man that has to support a family that could have had that spot. Yes. And, and I, remember being very reluctant when, you know, we, I did, we would go to court a lot more often than we do now. Back then, you know, you were in court all the time. And I remember when my kids were little, you could not as a woman ever say, uh, it's three o'clock. My kid has a baseball game that I'd like to go see. But, you know, if you were a man, you would, but if you were a woman, we were very reluctant to say that because it became, oh, we, you know, nobody should be leaving you just because you're a mom doesn't mean you can leave court early. But once in a while you'd hear a guy say, oh, my son's got a baseball game. Can I go early? And the judge would say, of course, we'll let you go. Now they probably would have let us go as well, but we were hesitant to bring it up because we didn't want to appear just like you said. Well, you're just here for the time being. You're not going to make this, you know, it's not a career for you. You're not serious about it. So we were all hesitant to do anything. How has that 
evolved. I mean, do you still see things? It's not like it all just went away. It's changed. It's evolved. But do well, you I still think see? we've evolved. So I think, you know, people like you, like me, and many of the female practitioner lawyers aren't hesitant now and don't care. We're much more, we're much bolder. I'm bolder than I would have been 25 years ago. If my, I didn't miss any of those games. And if my kids were homesick, I had backup plans. But my kids did not, as a result of my being a lawyer, ever suffer as as a result. And I think we're all bolder. I think we have no hesitation to say, I want to leave early if my kid has a game. And I don't feel that I'm any less serious than the guy who's sitting next to me. Well, do you think, too, that we as a society are seeing that we need to be around and more involved, both parents, with their kids? No, it is important for you to go to the games and for kids to see mom and dad at these games and supporting them and whatever they're doing, which means it's going to take time away from work. True. True. And I, I think it, it is extremely important that, again, we've, you know, we talked about this earlier. It's important that we have a personal life and that that personal life doesn't take um, a backseat every day, all day to our profession. And I think that's one thing that COVID helped us understand is that life is short and you need to devote attention to you, what you, you know, your feelings and your needs are as a human being. And if I want to go to my kids, you know, field day at school or a baseball game, or if your boyfriend has a particular function that you feel is important, then yeah, why don't I get an adjournment for that? Or why can't I leave an hour early? That type of stuff is important. And it shouldn't just be limited to your kids. You know, maybe you've got a birthday party for somebody who's very significant in your life. It should be okay to say, can I move this case from Wednesday to next Wednesday for this important event? And I think we do that now, whereas 20 years ago or 25 years ago, we might not have. Yeah, I definitely think that. But do you think that your perception might be a little skewed because you're the business owner? I wonder how most associates think their law firm experiences. Well, that's an interesting point. You might... I'd be interested to see how they may feel. And and you may also be, it might depend who they answer to as the partner in the firm, because the partner in the firm, you know, that's going to make a big difference on whether they're comfortable or not. Well, I think as the millennials are kind of taking over their mentality about work and the work-life balance, there was no such thing as a work-life balance, you know, decades ago. Now there is. Yes. And now it's like the life part is more important than the work part. Yes. Look, I have two millennials. They're in their 20s and they work very hard. But you're 100% correct. Work and life, there has to be a life balance and life is very important to them. However, they get the work done. They're also willing to work. They don't work. Their concept of work is not nine to five Monday through Friday. They're kind of willing to do whatever they need to do as long as they squeeze in the life part. Yeah, I think that's a big difference. I when I back when I worked for somebody, I I felt like the attitude in the office was, well, Christina, you're single, meaning unmarried. Even though you have a boyfriend, that doesn't count. Um, and you don't have children. So you're more available 
to do everything than some of the other people in the office who were married and had kids. You know, they would have childcare responsibilities and things like that. So I always felt like there was almost like this backlash against me now because I'm not married and don't have kids. I'm expected to just be at work because what else could I possibly have to do besides go to work? Because your your life part of the the balance wasn't as important as somebody who might be supporting quote unquote kids and a family or a wife. And I've had the same thing said to me. I've had, you know, I've had reviews, you know, in the past with, you know, so and so supporting a wife and a family. And I was like, well, so am I. <laughs> you know, like it's just as important to me what my earnings are as somebody else who might happen to be a male with a wife. Know, but. Yeah, I think we're learning to be a little more open and, and careful about what we say and, and how we sort of categorize people, you know, because families look so different now. It's not just mom, dad and two kids and a dog. That's right. That's right. And and it doesn't, again, like you said, it doesn't mean even if you don't have a spouse or you don't have kids your personal life, your well-being is dependent on you having that personal time. And there are events in your life that are important and it shouldn't be uh, because you're supporting somebody else. It should be because that's what you need. That's what you need to make you happy. And in order for me to be successful in my practice and as a lawyer, I need to be able to have personal time and that personal time is important to you. And you also need to be compensated in an equal, on an equal basis. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So how far do you think we are um, towards that? What do you think we still have left to do? I, oh boy. I think this past year should have taught us how important it is to take care of us, you, me, as individuals. And that even though we don't have those offices and those nine to five hours. We can still do that work-life balance. Like maybe we need to learn a little bit more from the millennials. Like we can do both. And I think everybody needs to be flexible. Like I love that we can do things remotely. And I think as a, as a practice, you know, working in the legal profession, they need to be more flexible for us. And they can see now that that's possible without any negative impacts on our clients or on the court system or moving their quote unquote calendar. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I think that, I think unfortunately it took a pandemic for the court system to really get up to speed because the court system and, and then the rest of us, because we kind of have to follow along, had to do things sort of in an antiquated way. I mean, not really taking full t- advantage of the technology that's available, like Zoom and video yeah. conferencing and things like that. I mean, you and I were talking about this earlier before we started recording. It's just just not having to drive to court and sit there and wait is such a game changer for everybody involved. It saves people money. It saves you and I time. We can get so much more done because we're not on the road for an hour to the courthouse and then on the road to an, an hour back. We don't sit in the courtroom. Sometimes we sit in Zoom a little while, but it's never, you know, two, three hours typically. So yeah. This has been a learning event for everybody, especially the administrative office of the courts. And I think it's been a wonderful thing for the litigants. It saves them money, saves them time. You know, the, the litigants at you know, may not be a high executive in a big firm that make it paid hourly. 
they can meet with us, you, me, the court, they can appear in court and take an hour off on Zoom instead of taking half a day off and losing those wages. So that's a huge benefit to them as well. Yeah, I can't wait to see how things evolve. I can't wait to see what new technology they start taking advantage of. Maybe the courthouses just won't even need to exist anymore. Uh, I I bet they're going to be full. I bet we're going to be going back soon. I think the judges are going to be going back by the end of the year. And Do you think it's just going to go back to the way it was though? I hope not. I hope that we're going to be able to do some things remotely. Like we talked about, you know, motions and case management conferences. I hope that we can continue to do that. But, and I hope they give us flexibility that they, they kind of cut us some slack this past year and they can now see like, if you leave us alone, we can do our job. We can get these cases moving and keep the calendar going because we're all responsible. Just give us some time, give us some ability to do that. Well, there's one phrase that I absolutely hate to hear when this subtopic comes up and, but this is how we've always done it. <laughs> <laughs> How true is that? How true right. is that? But you know, we, we're all learning. I love the technology. And I think as long as we're willing to learn, there's there like the younger attorneys are going to show us all new different ways and new technology as time goes on. And we all have to be willing and open to learn. And the courts have to be willing to help us. We have to, you know. Well, eventually millennials will all be the the judges and the lawyers and the administrators. So I can't wait to see what they end up doing with all of it. Although I will tell you, we had our first event in Somerset County that was during after post-pandemic yesterday. And it was so nice. There was about 70 people there and it was in person. So that was nice not to be remote. And it was nice to see human faces and touch everybody again. And it was just a wonderful event. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I think there's no substitute for the human contact and there's just something you don't get from Zoom with the personal interaction. I mean, even with these podcasts, I used to go to people's offices and do them, okay. which I, I enjoyed doing. The benefit of this is you get a video, but I do sort of miss doing them in person. I just feel like there's a certain... Um, personal rapport that you can have with somebody when you're there face to face. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm a people person. I would much rather be able to see face to face a person. You can, you know, touch them, say hi, how are you? Give them a hug. To me, that's important to be able to say to somebody, it's great to see you, to see you in person. So um, going back to when you officially became a business owner and you became a partner, how did your role there change? Did you did you feel like you suddenly became business owner now? Because I always talk about the difference between being a lawyer but actually being a business owner. <laughs> so, yes, and actually, it was a lot more. The administrative work was a lot more than I I had ever anticipated, as you as you know, because you're running your own firm. So it was quite a shock at the amount of time that you have to spend on you know, looking at how the expenses, the payroll, that was a lot more work than I anticipated and overwhelming at times. But you've obviously um, grown into it. I did. I liked it. And, you know, I liked it, but I also had a good 
you know, I had good partners. We had a balance. So we divvied up what we were each kind of taking control over. If I had to be a sole practitioner, I think I, I don't know how people do that. That is a lot of work when you're solely responsible for looking over all the expenses, getting the payroll out, <laughs> ordering stuff, all that. Yeah, you realize you actually have two jobs now. Your lawyer and your administrator. And I don't think you can really do all of it and be doing it well. No, and I agree with you because, you know, you have staff and you want them to be happy too. And you can't, it's hard to practice law, you know, because you're busy all day running around and then, you know, you don't have time necessarily when you're doing all the administrative stuff to sit down and say, how is things going? Are you happy? What do you think we can do better? I mean, you have to take time to do that so that you still keep in touch with what's going on in the office. So what have you learned are your personal favorite parts or what you're really good at in terms of the business aspect of things? And what are the parts you're like, no, I hate doing that. I <laughs> someone else does that. Um, the, the part that I enjoy doing is, well, when we have events like the birthdays, parties and stuff, I, I enjoy getting together with the staff. But as far as administrative work, I like to keep track of expenses. Like I like to know what are we spending money on and is it really worth it? I like to keep track of that. The stuff I don't like to keep track of is the banking, that, that which sounds silly, but I don't like to keep track of you know, banking and all the what's going into payroll and how things are, you know, I don't like to keep track of who's paying actually. And that sounds crazy to the clients. So I kind of stay out of that. So who's the enforcer or who was when, when it was Altman, Legpan and Mayrides, who was the one that did that? Um, mostly my paralegal would keep track of, of somebody who kept, you know, if there was an outstanding balance and stuff like that. But we had a bookkeeper who keeps track of all of that. So if it gets out of hand, I don't have to deal with that. That I could not do. And so the paralegal and my bookkeeper would keep track of those accounts receivable or if there was an expense that was getting out of control. Okay. So how long was it? You recently, um, you guys all kind of shifted. So it was Altman, Legman, and May rides for a long time. 30 years. And then this winter, we decided to, to, to set up different shops, go different paths. And I kept the office in Basking Ridge. And I started the new firm with Michelle Donofrio and Kate Wood. And we have Tam Abitante, who's of counsel. So there's four of us. And it's been wonderful. I, you know, I live up in Basking Ridge and that's where our office is. So I have had two offices, one in down in Princeton area and one up here for 30 years. And that commute was dreadful. So it's nice just to have an office very close to my home. Yeah, you are spoiled now. I am very spoiled. And I'm really spoiled now because we can do stuff remotely. So, so yeah, but it's been great. And, and, Two of the attorneys are pretty much working remotely. So, and they're very happy and very productive doing that. So, thank you, COVID, for that because, you know, Kate has a young child. So, this has been wonderful for her. She doesn't have to have daycare. Yeah. I remember Kate when she was Kate Lake. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes I forget which one's the married name and which one was the maiden name. Yes, I, I had a little trouble with that too at the time. But yeah, so so you know that's the positive. That's another positive thing of COVID. A lot of people that had you know childcare issues or costs 
don't have those same costs anymore and can save more money. Yeah, well, there's that. But honestly, my partner, John Locklinger, when the pandemic really started and everybody had to homeschool and work from home, I mean, honestly, it's impossible. How can you work a full-time job at home and be homeschooling your child all day? I don't know. I don't know. And and it uses up the Wi-Fi. So, you know, you want to Zoom a meeting or a court appearance and your kid is using the iPad or the computer. I don't know how people did it. I really don't, especially if they're in middle school because middle school math. Oh, my God. I don't. Well, I, th- I feel like it was harder with the little ones because they really want your attention and need this constant structure all day. Yeah. And yeah. how are you doing that? I, I, it was the one time in my life I was grateful that I did not have children. <laughs> I, was like, Thank God. I was grateful mine were older because I said, you know, I had said to Kate, like, I don't know how you're going to, you know, and, and, you know, you have to learn. It's a new adjustment and she adjusted. And obviously it's not easy. And honestly, I don't know how people did it that had two, three kids. How do you do that? I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> um, I remember saying, I think they should just, end school for the year. Everyone's just going to miss a year. They'll be okay. (laughs) Everyone will just be a year behind now. You know, when this is done, just go back to school. I still think it could have worked. Well, something, something, fortunately they all got through it. So something, something clicked in the kids. So they got through the year and maybe they're going to have to, I don't know, make up whatever grade they, they went through in COVID and do some extra work next year. Yeah. I mean, could they really have learned everything that they were supposed to? I doubt it. Think about it. Would you <laughs> imagine if you're like an eight-year-old kid and you're staring at this computer all day? I mean, you'd be da 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 Yes, I did observe my goddaughter who's eight. She stayed at my house one night and on a Sunday. So I got to observe her doing school on her computer. And she was like all over the place. She'd keep stopping to talk to me about her shoe or whatever. And I'm like, Sydney, if you were in class, you would not be doing this right now. Pretend I'm not here, <laughs> but that you are there. Yeah. So, and yeah, I don't know. Imagine I don't know. Yeah, two or three. Can Sorry? You imagine you two or three kids doing that at the same time. I, I, I don't know how people did it. No. Well, I can't imagine two or three under any circumstances. <laughs> All right. So now your situation, um, what is your vision for the firm? And what's the name of the firm? It's Legban and Donofrio LLC. I'm told I have to say LLC. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So it's, it's, so our vision, let's see. I, you know, our vision is really to provide a well-rounded firm that provides services for family law and, and including mediation, arbitration. We do do collaborative law. And, you know, I just, to continue to practice as long as I can and, and help people, that's really my vision is to just continue to do as best I can in mediation and litigation. But you like to make time for travel. I mean, you're not a workaholic. Well, that's my personal vision. No, I am not a workaholic, but I do, you know, I, I give 110% when I'm there, but I do like to travel and I would love to continue to travel. And as I said before, I think we were recording, I just got back from Hawaii and that was so refreshing and that jump started me. So I'm happy to be back to traveling and I'm happy to be devoting some time and effort to 
know, getting my clients through this process. I, I know that you're an avid traveler. I want to ask you, where have some, been some of your favorite places that you've been? Well, Hawaii would definitely be on top of that. And I highly suggest if you ever get the opportunity to go to Kauai, that's probably the most beautiful place I've ever been. And Rome. Rome is one of my favorites. And you have to love wine, and I, I do. And that was a wonderful place to eat and drink your way through. And Paris. Paris was one of my favorite places as well. It's very artsy, and um, I, that was on the top of my list too. I've been to both. I love Paris, and I've been to Rome too. And I was completely in awe of the Colosseum. Yes. and. Isn't that daunting? Like, how did that get built? And yes. lines underneath the, the bottom there. Like, how did that all get to happen? I don't know how they could possibly. Well, just the fact that it's still there, too. Yeah. And how many. How old it is. I know. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. That, that human beings without the machines that we have now could build the Coliseum. I know. Um, goes to show you, they, re- they were really ahead of their time, too. So I like to end each interview with a series of questions, sort of like a Proust questionnaire. I don't know if you've ever seen those. I didn't make it up. There's one in the back of every Vanity Fair magazine. So check it out because they ask um, celebrities a series of questions. Um, So what would you be doing if you weren't a lawyer? I would be working in an animal shelter if I could stand it I because it would break my heart but that really is where I'd like to see myself when I retire is volunteering at an animal shelter are you into dogs or cats I'm into dogs I really like to I would love to rescue dogs if I could I did have but yeah I just I just find there's so many homeless animals and you know it really is a shame that we can't fix that problem as well do you do the rescue stuff I have not yet. I have volunteered briefly at a shelter, but with practice and my family, I have not had enough time to do it. So as soon as I'm done practicing law someday, I'm hoping that I can do that. All right. So we'll be on the lookout for that. Um, So if you won $100 million and money was just not even a consideration for anything at all, what would you be doing? Hmm. I'd probably be living half in Hawaii (laughs) and maybe Key West would be the other half. (laughs) I think that's probably what I would do. And then I would donate a significant portion of money to, I guess I would like to see them fix the homeless problem in general for people and as well as animals. So if I had that kind of money, I would like to figure out somebody much smarter than me If you had an unlimited pocket, how do we fix the homeless situation of people? Yeah, I don't. I I was going to ask you, do you know how to do that? I I don't. I don't even know. No, but it's where to start. So hurtful to think that there are people that are living there with no homes. I don't know the solution. Well, I think a lot of homeless people are mentally ill. I mean, I think they've done studies on that. And I think you're right. I think that that's true. So. Or, you know, addicts to have alcohol and drug addiction too. So I, I guess that's where some money would have to be funneled to try to fix that situation. Yes, I think that's admirable. 
Um, so if you were writing a life's instruction manual, what would be rule number one? Be kind. Good one. Um, you sort of answered this earlier, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What person do you most admire and why? Hmm. Well, in my life, my is was my is my dad. My dad's a hundred years old, so he's on his way to 101 right now, actually. So the person I most admire is my dad. He went through a lot of troubles in his life. I had two brothers and a sister that died as infants. So and they stayed married as well, him and my mom. So the person I most admire is my dad. And for all the trouble, you know, he lost a brother in World War II, too. So when I keep thinking about it, he's had a very difficult life, but he's a wonderful, kind man. And I hope I've made him proud. Oh, I'm sure that you do. I have no doubt about that at all. Does he know that you feel that way? Have you ever told him? I, I, yeah, I, well, yes, I've told him in cards, probably more so than I have in, in person, but I'm, I'm hoping that he's well aware how proud I am of him and how much I wish, you know, I could have been as good as a human being as him. So. Aw, you're so lucky to have a dad like that. Um, maybe he'll watch this or listen to it. Probably listen to it, although I, I may show it to him. We'll try. <laughs> You could just skip to the end. Okay. <laughs> okay so fine, final question. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Oh, boy. So much, right? <laughs> I, know, I know exactly what I'd tell my 20-year-old self. Life goes way too fast. Enjoy every freaking moment. Yeah. I think that's good advice. Well, thank you so much, Don. I really could do this all day, but I'm sure you have other things to do. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was great to see you. I'm so glad everything's well with you. Likewise. Thank you for listening to Wake Up Call, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, christinaprevitt.com. And be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to, doing, basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media. Look up Wake Up Call, the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at wakeupcallthepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.